Welcome back to another episode of PhD Divas. This is Zainya for part two of our two-part series of women of color talking about teaching. Uh, again, this is an episode where I am interviewing the um, several women of color from a teaching support group I organized last semester. We have with us Renia White, who's uh, an MFA in poetry, or earned her MFA in poetry, rather, Aurora um, Musun Javad, who also earned her MFA in poetry at Cornell, uh, Liz Alexander, who is a second year PhD student in English, um, and Mariana Alacon, who's also a second year PhD in English. Uh, hope you enjoyed the first part of the series and you'll enjoy the rest here. Um, just as a quick note, you may be wondering why our Liz Wayne isn't featured here. Uh, this does have to do probably with greater institutional and, and disciplinary differences between STEM and the humanities. In my program at Cornell, it's typical that we teach our own classes, our own seminars, and this is the, the experience that we're talking about here. So we get a much different experience than being a teaching assistant in a large lecture chat class. Instead, we have classes of 18 students maximum with material that we completely design, teach, grade, lesson plan all ourselves. I hope you enjoy this part. We talk a lot about strategies, about the emotional um, burden and labor of of doing this type of work as women of color in academia. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. Maybe another topic to talk about is like the way that, that I think Renia sort of alluded to this, like we end up providing so much emotional support for um, oh say God, like yeah. um, Students of uh, students of color, but also that this prefigures the way that one of the additional burdens that the few faculty of color who make it through the academic pipeline find it even harder to get tenure is that there's a way even at the very early stages we are already taking on these unrecognized burdens of sort of like counseling. Yeah, <laughs> talk about that. I it's interesting that uh, I. The students that have attached themselves to me haven't been students of color. They've been queer or they've been transgender students, particularly. Um, and I think it's because uh, I'm very uh, open about, you know, everyone reading the semester is queer and black. Uh, and I guess I, they probably think I'm queer based on all the things that we read. I haven't said that I am or not, but I think that creates a kind of comfort uh, where, and, and this is in my class as opposed to like 200, 250 person engineering classes where, you know, both students um, are being referred to by their assigned name and their assigned gender, whereas in my class they can be who they want to be. Um, and that has led to like a lot of emotional dumping on me, which is kind of terrifying because um, these students are going through not only sort of normal 18-year-old, everything is new and scary, but also I'm transitioning medically, like I'm considering getting top surgery. I'm, you know, one of my students this semester had to be hospitalized because they were suicidal um, after coming out to their parents. Um, or after she came out to her parents. And, like, that is hard to deal with with my friends, let alone my students, especially since I can't have, you know, there's only so much I can say uh, because, you know, I have to maintain a level of professionalism. Um, I, you know, try to be as supportive as I can. I try and listen. Uh, but I, it is kind of hard to think about the, um, potential of having even just one student dealing with some like really deep shit every semester that's yeah it's uh it's 
hard. And I don't really... And even going up the chain of command of, uh, of like, my course leader and other administrative people, I wasn't really getting the kind of support, like, that I needed um, to figure out, like, what do I do with this child who's telling me that they want to kill themselves? Like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. It's like, Mariana, at the beginning of the conversation, when you're talking about the sort of sense of responsibility that we have to our students... Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's absolutely overwhelming because suddenly you realize that you, you, you need to be so much more for them. You need to be for them things that you can barely be for yourself, yeah. you know? And, uh, and that's terrifying. You have, like, all these, like, these, these 17 to 18, you know, 18-year-old little, little lives all sort of, like, looking to you for guidance. And some of them, some of them will cling to you because since for a lot of them, this is the first time they've actually been able to have a conversation about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're thinking, I have to be able to do things for them that I'm still learning to do for myself. Yeah. You know? Uh, and as a friend, it's, it's terrifying. You think, why am I being paid to do this? <laughs> I, I, I'm nowhere near prepared enough for this, and yet they have no one else to do it for them, you know? And it also makes me think about myself as an undergrad clinging to teachers. Like, yeah. Because, I mean, I was that 18-year-old who, like, found a teacher and latched on for four years. Uh, yeah, this is, it's, it, it, the emotional burden is very real. And you do get like this, this oddly like a maternal need to help them and the guilt when you feel that like you failed somehow. You know? Yeah, like that's why I feel like that's like the sort of burden when you when you're just grading things. Like that's why like I want them all to do well, and that's why it becomes like physically painful or really exhausting when you know you wanted them to do so well, and you're like, but this paragraph is terribly constructed. Oh my god! <laughs> and then. Yeah. Or they say something, and, and it's not, so, they're, they're not meaning to be offensive, but you're like, oh, have I taught you nothing? <laughs> uh, I also feel like teaching has helped me teach a new way, a new way to relate to others and to the world, if that makes any sense. Like, that it's not a, I guess before I was a teacher, I thought like, oh, you just like, like people or don't like people. But having to be a teacher has made me have to shift to a mindset, what it means to like, care about people regardless of whether or not you like them and about what it means to nurture people without having to be maternal at the same time and like really negotiating what it means to like to want the best for people and try to give them those opportunities um but also being able to distance yourself from like the overwhelming responsibility of like having to i don't know be their parents at the same time i like trying to think that it's taught me how to like yeah care a certain type of care love and kindness than I've ever um, ever practiced before, and that teaching calls us to relate to yeah, people in a completely different way. Because I one time had a student who was a bit of a problem student who was like, I don't know whether or not you like me. And I was like, that's really not the question you should be asking. It doesn't matter whether or not I like my students. I care about all of you, and I want all of you to do well, and I'm trying to give you these circumstances. not about a personal... Um, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it's not quite like, I'm not trying to claim a position of objectivity because that's always something that's extremely fraught and I think ultimately false, but trying to take a, a stance of compassion towards all students. That also makes it easier um, to deal with those uh, like problem moments in the classroom when certain language gets used or certain off-color things get said. Um, to rem- remember that, like, everyone's learning and everyone's in progress and I also make mistakes um, and 
everything, at least in the classroom, everything can be a teaching moment um, outside of the classroom. I'm not a teacher outside of the classroom, um, but in the classroom, it's always about learning and teaching. Oh, gosh. Now, now I'm thinking about all the, the horrible things I probably said as a 19-year-old, and just like the saintly patience with you know, <laughs> in which my, my professor sort of responded. God bless him. <laughs> but you do. You become personally invested in, in these kids. Well, they're, they're, they're little adults, aren't they? And, and, and these little grown-ups' as journeys. Whether or not you like them, it's like you're personally invested in, 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 in whatever path they choose. And I feel like like the, the impact that we have on them, because, again, this is the classes we're teaching are mandatory classes that all students at Cornell have to take. And often for a lot of them, this is the smallest class they're going to be taking that year, like an 18-person se- seminar versus all their huge introductory classes. And last year I tried to do this thing where, because I realized that my, my the first class the students ever taught were all graduating, so I decided to like write emails to all of them. And I was really surprised like the number of students responded, including students that I did not really think cared, that were like, you know, not the greatest students. And then one of them responds like, I'm so glad that you remembered me. I don't think any of my other teachers cared about me at all. And this really meant something to me. And, like this was like a student that I didn't think was like particularly personally or intellectually invested, but it meant something to them that I was I took that time to reach out and I was like, ah, I have so many feelings. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely find that my upperclassmen, um, because I teach creative writing, uh, which is only for upperclassmen, um, specifically like my juniors and seniors, um, they they seem to need more in a way. <laughs> um, and it's interesting uh, how, how much quicker, you know, they, they try to like sort of cultivate a relationship with me um, that... Um, in which I can sort of support them, uh, and I guess also because the nature of the work, they're they're just talking about their feelings, right? Creative writing, they're like trying to make people, um, and a lot of times they're just reinventing themselves on the page. So I think they feel incredibly vulnerable, and yeah, the responsibility uh, with the freshmen, it's high because it's like, oh, you're just coming in here, but with the upperclassmen, it's like they've sort of been in this incubator for a while, and they're like wrestling with these things, and then they see you, and they're like, oh, you see me, and you see my <laughs> vulnerable things. Here you are. You know everything now you know um yeah and it it's kind of terrifying but lovely it's terrifying though it is kind of lovely how quick they are to open up on paper i know so much that i feel (laughs) i shouldn't know about my students but it's just it's such a nice feeling that they trust me and i feel like because we're talking about the more positive aspect of teaching like that's why teaching can be rewarding way that our research isn't or other (laughs) writing is like um well, obviously, we're all at very different stages in our academic career, but, like, like research is not something that is, like, as instantly gratifying as sometimes, like, the way that I feel like sometimes you can leave the classroom and it's such a rush, like, you know, because, like, it's so exhilarating or so exciting. And, yeah. And, like, like, you see this, the immediacy of, like, the impact that you're having. Well, yeah, I feel like my work is never going to walk up to me and hug me and tell me what a great job I did. You know, <laughs> how, what a wonderful, what a wonderful teacher I am. Like, my students will do that, you know, and my, my writing sort of sits there like it's judging me. Um... <laughs> No, but but there is this incredible sort of like of uh, there's there's more there's 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 an immediate pleasure an immediate like a, a true sort of soul happiness that I get when when I when I see students respond to me or uh, that that I don't seem to get from any other aspect mm-hmm. of my work at least not to the same degree. Yeah. The, the the reward always seems somewhere somewhere off in the distance. You know, like like it's an abstract possibility. The students really embody the type of change that we want to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe one thing that we'd also like to talk about is like, what is it like to be 
to be a, a, an instructor as a as a woman of color and like and per- personally from my experience like I realized I've never had an Asian woman teach me um, and so it's like mm. I sort of had this weird thing like I'm going to be teaching people without ever having like an a model presented to me that is like me in a weird way but at the same time it was like both terrifying but also exciting because I was like for these students I can form their I could form what their experience is going to be like of having a, a small Asian woman be an authority figure <laughs> and this is like I'm going to try and explore those notions like so I, I was hoping you guys would like to talk maybe a bit about like how do you negotiate that space yourself how do you negotiate like your teaching persona I could, I guess, talk a little bit more about mine as you guys think about it. But like for me, um, I'm very unabashedly femme in my teaching or like in my in my presentation. Whereas I also think that in person, I think I'm also very crass. Like I like swearing a lot. I talk a lot about video games or violence or like all these other like things that perhaps are gendered or more masculine. And be like, um, and for me, I I welcome that type of contradiction as not being unprofessional, but as a way of enacting in front of my students how they think about gender norms. Mm. And also, I think that as much as I think that the academy is not a friendly place to to people who are fan presenting, at the same time, it's incredibly important that I do the work that shows that someone who's fan presenting can be competent and rigorous to try and like at a very early stage implant in them that like this is something that is acceptable at least that's, that's part of my and for me for example like I like to put together outfits for every day that I teach and for me like putting together the outfit is just as much about like preparing all like my handouts for that day or the readings for today like it's like this preparedness that extends to both like the lesson plan as well as to my own presentation and like it becomes a form of armor and a type of preparedness I ask for a lot of, like, vulnerability from my students, so I often aim to be similarly vulnerable and to, like, model what that looks like, because I feel like, especially around conversations about identity, there's so much shame in admitting to some of, like, the internalized stuff that they have or the, you know, the views that they have of people in other communities, and so... Like, I'll do all the free rights with them, especially at the beginning of the semester. And if we share, I will read. Um, and I know that that's not traditional, I guess, but it, because I'm so much older than them, I feel like an automatic distance already. And so I feel like it's a way of saying, I am also in process. I will learn from you. Your words are as valuable as mine. Um, the text is the most valuable, <laughs> put that first. But yeah, I swear a lot. Um, I just try, I think, because I've taught like preschool, middle school, and high school, and teaching college requires zero behavior management. <laughs> so, like, I feel much more comfortable fully being myself as I am. And, like, all of the teachers that I've learned the most from definitely were authority figures. Like, there's so much. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if you'd call it. Yeah, there's a lot of research that says, oh, you should have these, like, project-based classrooms. And yet all of the instructors that have been the most influential for me knew their shit and knew they knew their shit and said their shit. You know, so it wasn't like, uh, they, yeah, they were forthcoming. And forthcoming? Forthright? Forthright. <laughs> they were about um, to come out. And, and so I, I don't know. I feel like this semester I've tried to lean more towards actually doing more telling because I think last semester I let them talk a lot and sometimes the conversation would just circle uh, around because they have a similar level of knowledge about things. So I don't know. I, 
ba I try to balance being open and like, hey, I am like you in many ways, and I know more than you. <laughs> you know, I feel like last semester I did more telling, you know, thinking that's my job. I, and and I feel like in, in, in telling, they, they seem more resistant to what they were being told, whereas like if I trick them into thinking what I want them to, to know, they almost, they could accept it as something that had occurred to them. And I also tried... You know, like I, I made myself vulnerable a couple, uh, several times with my students my first semester, thinking that that I'd be able to, to sort of push them. And I guess like maybe that's the wrong phrase, the wrong word for that, but push them into into thinking about things, into personalizing some things. And and I got nothing, and so it ended up just making me feel incredibly exposed. Yeah. And so this semester, I feel like I. On the one hand, I think I I felt more comfortable with my students, and I think that came through. I, I was I was warmer, definitely, and a lot of them thanked me for what they felt was a, a fairly low key and what's it called and safe and sort of and friendly environment. You know, where they didn't feel that like um, I'm not even sure they knew the stakes were high, but but they didn't feel like like every day was 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 going to war. You know, uh, they they get enough of that in their other classes, I'm sure. But at the same time, I, I also didn't. It never got as personal somehow, at least not for me. So I felt safer and more comfortable, and they felt safer and more comfortable, and 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 feel like teaching them was was easier in a lot of ways, in part because I did less telling. On the other hand, I feel like, like I was rebuffed that first semester, and I, I, I it's I, I don't know how to how to replicate that in a way that it will or will or it'll actually be effective. you're speaking a little bit to that as women of color like our probably our relationship to um being seen as authority figures is more precarious and like to like which bodies in the classroom can speak in certain ways about certain types of politics without being rebuffed for example like uh, like one of my friends who is a straight white man who teach, does afam studies is, is very forthright with the fact that he can be more he can speak more Straightforwardly about the politics because he's seen as being objective because he's a white man. Yeah. Right. A beard um, and a deep voice usually helps. Yeah. Whereas, like, we're taught. I think what we're talking about here is like how do all of us negotiate our own identities and different levels of vulnerability with balancing authority at the same time because like the stakes are very different for us. I mean, I've had students argue with me on the first day of class, and I find that useful. Like, uh -huh. I think I would rather know where they stand. Mm -hmm and be able to talk about it than have them shy away from that. Like, I feel like, I don't know. I, I've tried many, diff I've taught for, what, eight years now, and I've tried so many different tactics, and, like, college for me so far has been the easiest because when they argue or, like, you know, have differing opinions and state them loudly, um, there's so much room for conversation, whereas I felt like when I taught younger students, it became, you know, it would just, like, people would throw chairs in, in, in middle school. So, like, this is such a different level yeah, of resistance. No um, chairs. <laughs> and, like, it's a kind of resistance that can be discussed. Um, I think this persona question, <laughs> <laughs> persona question is interesting. Um, I was thinking about, uh, and well, I guess I, I feel, uh, 
especially right now, I feel like I'm trying to come up with a teaching persona. Um, I'm not, my students don't know this, hopefully, but I'm not that much older than them. And, you know, I'm very short (laughs) and I look like I'm about 16. So I feel like when I come in the classroom the first day, they're like, who the fuck is this little black lady? And then I'm like, I'm the teacher. You will call me Miss Alexander. And they're like, oh. Um, And I feel like the teachers that have had the greatest impact on me are um, teachers who like switch back and forth very well between being um, dominant, authoritative, uh, no nonsense and being very weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like talking about a lot of weird things or just like making bad jokes. My students don't laugh at any of my jokes anymore. And I think it's kind of funny because I'm just sitting there being awkward. Um, And I think me being awkward, um, some of it's a performance. Obviously, this isn't, you know, I'm not being the kind of person that I am with my friends, um, but I am being sort of, I think I'm letting them in a little bit, um, to letting them in uh, to kind of see the, you know, weirdness that goes on in my head. Why we're reading these books, why we're talking about computers or, like, video games. And I feel like it's in those moments where I am a little bit weird that the other students who are weird are like, oh, I like that weird thing, too. <laughs> um, we, I, I had a good little bonding moment with a couple of students about Mary Kopesh, who's a, a trans video game designer, and they were like, ooh, indie video she's my, games. Oh, she's my friends. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, They were like, ooh, indie video games. And I was like, I know, right? That's so cool. So um, I feel like I'm trying to model that balance of both being like, I, you know, know more than you because I've literally been reading the books longer than you have. uh, And I do, like, I'm coming into the classroom. I'm asking you these questions for a reason. I'm not just doing these things because for, you know, whatever random reasons, there is a method or there's a point to all this madness, but, you know, I'm also kind of weird and awkward and, like, those two things, I think, I don't know, it just, it feels genuine and it feels like what's been that most inspiring in me, so I feel like that's what I'm replicating. I don't know if it's the best, quote-unquote, but it feels not bad. And also letting go of, this is more mentor advice from these, like, authoritative weird black women that have, like, structured my life, um, is letting go of what students think and just going into the classroom being like, I want to talk about Audre Lorde today because she's the best, and the fi- if only five of you want to talk about her being the best, then we'll talk about her being the best. <laughs> and the other six of you will, I don't know, stare at the table for 45 minutes, but I'm going to talk about how awesome Audre Lorde is. Um, and just being very upfront about, you know, this is the conversation. I think this is cool. That's why I'm here. It's why I'm asking you these questions. So if you're here, you're here. If you're not, we're just going to look at each other awkwardly. Do you, do you want to see something? Um, yeah. I mean, my comfort's really important to me. Uh, uh, I don't know. Thinking about persona, it's been really important to me to feel as if I'm not amending myself too much in respect for my humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't want to feel apologetic in any way. And I, again, I, I guess it comes from I was not educated in the kind of space in which I am now educating. So I'm always conscious of that, right? Um, uh, that the models that I had, like, I had plenty, you know, of black teachers, plenty um, black women, black men, you know, I, I had tons of them. And um, 
I watched them and I felt like I was always watching them, right? They always felt like they felt when I, you know, met them in Starbucks later on, right? Um, and I think that it's important to me that I feel like the emotional, vulnerable, sometimes a mess person that I am. Um, and a, one thing that has become important to me is allowing the world into the room. So a lot of times I start the class, and maybe this is like going back to, uh, I studied journalism, we had to take edit tests in the beginning of like every class, so we just had to know a bunch of stuff in the world. We didn't know what was on the edit test, and then you get it, and it's like, oh man, today somewhere there was a bomb. Where was it? Like, oh, wow. you know, what country was bombed? And you're like, darn, I didn't read enough of the post this morning, right? Um but sometimes I'm like, yo, so what happened in the world since the last time we saw each other, right? I'm going to start doing uh, that. And like that. It, it kind of, you know, um, it's important to me, right, because I want to talk about the fact that we are, yes, in this room, but this room is in a university, and this university is hello in a town, and this town is in hello state. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> we are in stuff, and stuff, and stuff, and stuff. Um, and it gets bigger and bigger, and letting them know that it's okay, I guess, to have that other stuff, because I'm going to have my stuff, you know? Um I've been in the class before, and maybe I got a call beforehand, and I'll start off, hey, I just got a call before this, but I'm a little off, you know, whatever, you know, I got to invite that vulnerability in the room so that I'm comfortable, because I don't want to have to teach for an hour and 20 minutes, you know, trying to pretend that I didn't just get a call, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I, I make sure that I'm comfortable, like I said, like, in respect for my own humanity. Uh, and yeah, it seems like my students respond pretty well to that. I wanted to add that um, one thing I found really helpful with Black Power Yellow Pearl is that rather than just having them do, do reading responses, I had them do their own, curate their own Tumblr blogs. And every, for every class, like there's a different group that had to to write a response that wasn't just to the reading, but connected it to a number of different cultural things. And they had to check certain boxes. They had to do at least one thing that was from pop culture right now, one thing that was historical in the last, in the last century, one thing that was a campus event, one thing that happened nationally, one thing that happened internationally. And so like they had to like constantly like pay attention to what was trending on Facebook or what they saw on Twitter and then relate it to whatever text we were working on at the time. So it was both them having to do a reading response but combining it with, um, again, with what you're saying, Renia, about like connecting it to all these broader contexts. And that's how I'd open the classes. I'd, I'd put together, like the, I'd put up the class Tumblr and have people just briefly go around and just say what they covered. And that was like a way of like bringing that in. But also I think it because it became also a very low waste low stakes way of getting all the students to talk. I hope that it made everyone more comfortable because like at least they're speaking like I saw this BuzzFeed video about appropriating new costumes and we know Halloween's coming up. So like what this is this gonna mean? And like yeah. I feel I like I need to be taking a version of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I'm in the fall. Oh, can I talk about this? Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. No, I'm teaching uh, a class called Get Information, History in Real Time. And so we're thinking about, like, the digital moment and, like, social consciousness movements, just, like, everything that you're thinking of that's, like, being buzzworded, you yeah. know? And then, like, sort of involving ourselves in that, like, in an analytical way and writing yeah. about it. So, like, the think piece as essay or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah. We should talk. That's, so, actually, I wrote about can this. Can we also talk? Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about, like, I wrote about this for Haystack. I actually want to write a pedagogical article. Like, I actually started my class with having all of them on the first day do homework to look up the hashtag, um, to look up the Black Lives Matter hashtag uh-huh. and to put together Storify so that everyone who wasn't mm, aware of it. Nice. Also, and also Asians for Black Lives hashtag. And so, so that I knew that everyone came in with very different levels of knowledge about the subject, but that was a way that once everyone had to collect a dozen tweets, they could see what those conversations were. Uh, oh, 
Facebook oh, tweets so into fun. a story. Or like any type of social media. It allows you to collect any sort of thing together and like it puts together like the story of like yeah. the conversation. It's really useful and it's free. Um, it's, I mean, like when, when, when hashtags are trending, you can put together a yeah. literal story of like the most yeah, it's, powerful Yeah, it's really useful. And what I also gave is like after that, I also gave them, along with like the instructions on how to do their Tumblr blogs and all the things they had to curate, was also like lists of all the different Facebook pages and Twitter accounts I thought they should follow just to like mm. to force them to integrate um, uh, if, if they're on like I didn't like oblige them like if people didn't have a Facebook account it's fine I just told them like just read the Atlantic you know like or just or but if they had Twitter or something like that like follow Son of Baldwin follow mm-hmm. uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates just mm-hmm. follow these people follow Angry Asian Man and then it just became this low level way that they just started just seeing what those what the discourses were as they were happening and, and like plugging them into um that's so was, smart because I feel like their feeds must look epically different yeah. from ours, mm. and it's helpful to like get them yeah. on the same page by forcing them just to to see it. Yeah, and like what like does the language look like? Like I think everyday feminism, for example, is really good at mm-hmm. that sort of thing because it just they're very good at breaking things down. And mm-hmm. if you could, you could just add one of those like news sources to their social media life, and I think it and yeah changes the atmosphere for them. Yeah, I was also thinking about how I need to be taking notes on you know everything we're doing or everything that has come up um, and reflecting on why like this like we're supposed to be talking about uh, teaching and it and it's become like very generative for our teaching I was just thinking about how you know uh, mentorship spaces differ and would I get the same kind of like um, creativity in a different teaching support space Um the ways the tech is being brought into the classroom in interesting ways, and I think the different techniques that we're coming up with to invite students into our lives, which, um, yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, it's making me very appreciative of this, like, woman of color space and the interesting and different and original ways that we're, um, trying to enact, you know, whatever pedagogical aims, as opposed to being like, this is what T.S. Eliot said. I will say, uh, like, one of my proud pedagogical moments was when one of my, well, I, I refer to them fondly as my bro dudes. My, my, <laughs> my gigantic um, white bro dudes was thought that Harriet Jacobs was a complete hero to him by the end of the class, because he's like, she is just so badass. Yeah, I, I know. I was like, did yes. you have them watch the Drunk History? The oh, drunk no, history I didn't. Episode, uh, oh, that could have been good. Yeah, with, um, uh, uh, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, mm-hmm. she played Harriet Jacobs, and I think it was Crystal. She Crystal has this uh, uh, this this podcast called The Read, which is hilarious. Um, any case, but, but yeah, so it was it was Crystal narrating. She was drunk, and uh, and uh, being Octavia Spencer is playing Harriet Jacobs. Like it sounds kind of awesome. So that, see, I mean, that sounds relevant for research. It'd be, it's, 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 it's absolutely hilarious, right? So you see Harriet sort of mouthing Crystal's words, like, "Yeah, let's go down south again and fuck up some shit." It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, uh, but it was funny anyway. Just, Sorry, that wow, that was a weird tangent. <laughs> Where that was going is just brown girl magic. Is yeah. <laughs> magic is what I was trying to say right there, in a lot of words. Oh, I think I'd want to say is that for my teaching person, what's important is like I want to have fun in the classroom. Oh, yeah, I enjoy yeah. having fun. I enjoy it when my students have fun. Like I try to make things that 
they'll find entertaining because it'll be more entertaining for me to grade. I like laughing a lot yeah. at my students and making fun of them in a nice way for those who are listening. I feel like in a, in a nice way. My but. first semester class was very into my like self-deprecating yeah. and also them deprecating sarcasm. Yeah. This semester they weren't having uh, it. It was brilliant. Yeah, sometimes they thought I was being mean to them, and I was like, no, 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 making <laughs> <laughs> jokes. Laugh at the joke. <laughs> Yeah, for me, one was the gratifying moments is when I was chatting with my students before class, and one of them was like, you always look like you're having such a good time. All my other graduate student instructors are so miserable. <laughs> and then I, I could only laugh. <laughs> oh. Saw the show. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so funny, though, like how, how, like, to them, we, like, we resent, we seem like we're so much farther along and so mature and like I remember like one of the other questionnaire like was one of my students asked like do graduate students have Halloween parties? Hello <laughs> honey. <laughs> I know. I used to think my teachers did not have I know. Lives. Well like yeah, yeah. and like, when, when I found out some of them were moms I was like what What do you mean you have your own children? <laughs> yeah like for me like I remember like I didn't know what a graduate student was when I first went into university and yeah you know, like <laughs> It's, it's like it's funny talking to them about slope day and like that knowing shuffle of like hee hee I know what you're gonna do on slope day and it doesn't cross their mind that, you know I also get turned <laughs> I aggressively compliment my students which mm. I got from a, a teacher of mine uh, an undergrad who I honestly don't know the tone of it even to this day like I don't know what he was doing but he just aggressively like complimented us. I remember the first day of my freshman class this semester, I just saw this, what he had on this brilliant white sweater. Brilliant white. And he was sitting in a way where the sun, and I'm like, you look like an angel. Oh, wow. <laughs> you are an angel, you know, and it just, now, and then they just started aggressively complimenting each other, too. Oh! <laughs> but I don't know if they meant it either, you know, it's like, I just, I'm like, do I mean it? I don't know. It's kind of weird. But yeah, I love to aggressively compliment and like just aggressive gratitude. It's fun. Aggressive yeah. Like sometimes I stop class and because I teach in Olin and there's yeah. big windows and I'm like, look at these kids out here. Look at the sun. They're beautiful with their backpacks. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like this is why you're a poet. You notice. And then you're like, look at the thing. And they're like, okay. It's fun. You know, sometimes I'll do this thing. And I had a, actually uh, another faculty member uh, here actually told me it might be a good idea where I'll have the kids, like, you know, so like they'll, they'll sing around the table and I'll have them go around and they each have to, like, complain. They get 15 seconds, 15 to 30 seconds to complain. And I say, like, and if you're not complaining, there's something wrong with you. So you need to find something to complain about. And so, they, so they will each, they each, so we all go around. So I do this especially at high stress times of the semester. And I'll start by complaining about something, you know, about whatever, about my, my upcoming exams, about the fact that I just discovered my fourth white hair or whatever, and they laugh at that, because they, they laugh when I, when I, like, when I say things about my aging body. <laughs> it seems hilarious to them. Um, and then they'll go around, and, and they'll, they'll whine about, like, about prelims or about their roommate or about, you know, how... Uh, they, they accidentally dropped their keys in the dumpster and their mother, instead of saying, oh, yes, my darling child, I'll buy you a new set of keys, I said, no, you get in there before the trash compactor gets <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and, they, and they love it. Like, it, it seems, it's a, it, it really is like an airing of grievances, and it, it, it certainly helps to break up any tension, you know? I do the opposite. Team building. I'm like... <laughs> Tell me three good things that happened to you today. Oh, honey. But Tell that's also how you team like build in real life, though. Yeah. Like, I like this idea of, like, yeah. team building in the classroom, especially since we're teaching such vulnerable classes. Like, we kind of are a little team. Yeah. 
Yeah, also what I like with uh, what you're saying, Renee, is like I also try to do that thing where I project to my students like the best version of themselves. Like you are brilliant, you are going to do a great job. So then I feel like they want to rise to the king because like I they want to fulfill that promise of mm-hmm. of being, being the an good angel. person. Yeah, <laughs> I have to wear white every day. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if I was that person, I'd, I I would definitely have dropped something on myself. Been <laughs> <laughs> white, it would not have gone well. Yeah, it would have yeah. been spaghetti. Yeah. Those little things they appreciate. Yeah. That. Yeah, sometimes, very infrequently, but if I feel like rewarding them, like I did this, what's it called, the last day of class, I we, we watched an episode of Fresh Off the Boat and I got the oh, yeah. pizza, and they, they liked it, you yeah. know, it's a, they thank me for feeding them. <laughs> food is always nice, they like food. I find that it's also helpful if I give them space to talk about how their other classes relate to what we're talking mm-hmm. about, because like a lot of them are studying really interesting things that have a lot to do with the text that we're reading. Um, whether that's like they're studying psychology or like a bunch of them are doing uh, these like entrepreneurial engineering like code offs on the weekends. Okay. Oh, like hackathons? Yeah. Oh, that's dope, yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, what is that? You know, they were talking about hunger, and I was like, well, that's important. <laughs> like, how do we integrate? You know, even if it's like they're talking about business, like the things that they are studying are usually relevant in some way, um, and inviting them to use those texts when, or like the things that they're learning about in the in terms of their analysis of the text that we're reading, is also like a team building thing because it's like, oh, this matters outside of freshman writing. Summer. And it makes their writing so much better. I feel like they kids, care. Yeah, yeah, using like biologic. I had a the bi- biomed student who just sort of started using biomed metaphors in his yeah. writing, and I was like, this is awesome. And yeah. he was like, oh, this is, I didn't even realize I was doing that. And, and then it's it so much more interesting for me to read. Yeah. Because I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, biomed. Yeah. I'm learning things. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely make them make, like, jargon sheets in creative mm-hmm. writing. Like, mm-hmm. what is the jargon of your actual discipline? Yeah. Um, and then I make them make something of it. And sometimes they swap them, and, you know, they have to then teach the teach the other students, like, what That's their jargon really, means. That is so cool. I don't know how I would do that. I guess you could do that in the yeah. FWS, too, yeah. But it's really helpful in creative writing because they, I feel like, especially with, like, fiction and poetry, it's good because it's like, I can make anything happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it's helpful to, like, have a word bank. Like, yeah. that sort of limit. Like, okay, so how can I use... The having them teach each other is so useful, too. Yeah. I had them do, like, a their frontline, PBS frontline has, like, a thousand videos about many different particular forms of oppression. And so I was like, pick one. And, like, don't pick one on the first page because <laughs> then we'll all watch the same video. And then they just had to teach each other about the thing that they learned. But, like, someone studied the way that cadavers are handled mm-hmm. and, like... I mean, that's interesting, sir. It's <laughs> really <laughs> fucked up. And, yeah. like, the, oh. the, the way that the cause of death is often influenced by gender and race mm. is, like, not a thing I would think about and yet is apparently very prevalent in, you know, the yeah. world of cadavers. Or, like, this whole, the, this whole the history of science in America is all about, like, rating graveyards of people of color. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I was like, uh, what is this website? It's Frontline, PBS Frontline. If you yeah. Google it, mm-hmm. it'll... So. I mean, I once had my students plan a murder. I'm <laughs> sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that makes, that, I mean, I, I, I thought that would be a fun activity, but this seems actually like 
less ethically problematic. <laughs> like, like, like I won't have an administrator knock down my door asking asking me why I made my students plan the perfect murder. <laughs> and my God, those kids went into incredible detail. Like they, 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 they loved it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you watch a lot of crime shows, I watch they tell you how to. <laughs> mm. We're not getting the FBI listening. <laughs> we should not be. We'll edit that out. Um, edit that out too. But, and I feel like this teaching them also gets them back to this idea of questioning and like trying to figure out a thing so that they can convey it to other people helps them learn the thing better mm-hmm. and helps them. And they them. believe it because it's a video. Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, like, the even thing. there's that here. It's a white dude telling them and not you, which matters. Yeah, but David Attenborough saying, oh, yeah, this should be true. Um, but even with the jargon, like, if they had to explain, like, what, I don't know, some science thing is, it's just, like, they will have to think about the science thing as more than just this is a science thing that I use to get from point A to point yeah, B. Yeah, in a very separate space. Yeah. And also, yeah. Ooh, sorry, I was going to say, like, I also think what's important is, like, I try to set up opportunities where my students feel like they actually have expertise. Yeah. Like, they have some type of mastery. And I think it also comes to, like, like, of course, if any of our listeners have read um, Pedagogy of the Press, that mm-hmm. we're not doing this, we're trying not to think of our students as, like, this empty vessel where you just, like, give them knowledge. Like, they themselves come in with knowledge and trying to empower them to feel like they're both producers and actors of, of knowledge. Sorry, Fanny. No, I was just going to say that. Like, yeah. that it just validates that they are coming with something, right? Uh, and things I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a way of having them be in charge for a little while. Yeah. And I think that also helps with, like, this thing of getting away from everything being a puzzle or having like one answer if you know that there are tons of variations in a room right mm-hmm. so if I'm getting them all to metaphorize one thing with their own particular dragon it's like we got there like 18 different ways mm-hmm. so there's not just one answer right so yeah um, yeah I think that's helpful but definitely with affirming mm-hmm. that they came in with a thing that they know mm-hmm. and that that's valuable I'd also say um, maybe as a way to start concluding is that what I think is sort of sad that there's, I think, this gap of the practice of pedagogy as we're talking about it versus, like, the institutional credentials that we're supposed to build up as teachers. Mm. So what, what I was saying is, like, yeah, for the teaching, like, that there's ways that we also have to set ourselves up to succeed by, like, read what the questions are on the departmental teaching evaluation so you know how to teach them. Because the problem is, like, sometimes they just don't ask questions that that showcase our strengths in the classroom. Because instead it's going to be like, how did you talk about this this amount about word choice? How many how many X did you assign? Like what uh, particular skills? So I, I try to teach both to how I think that my students should develop holistically, but also sort of teach the expectations at the same time. Because I know that I have to succeed at both games at once. Um, and I have to say, like, I am speaking... As someone, like, not to to my own own horn, but, like, that has won number teaching awards here because I know how to play that game. And I think that, I mean, obviously that is a certain amount of compromise, but it also, for me, is, like, this question of survival. It's not good enough that I am, that my my students know that I'm a good teacher, but how do I try to survive in an academic job market where I have to prove myself on paper with certain CV bullet points? What what activities do I have to do that have to be recognized by the university in such and such a way? Um, so perhaps it's also the cynical <laughs> yeah. side of I mean, how I one proves oneself or develops a teaching portfolio. One of the frustrating things about teaching the FWS early, um, and I mean, I say early because I'm not quite, quite at the point of thinking about how I'm marketable and translatable, um, but just trying to figure out what my interests are as an educator, what my pedagogical drives are, so mm-hmm. things like critical thinking, um, 
or critical thinking, questioning the world, um, and trying to fit in uh, really complex discussions um, with like the structure of the FWS, which mm-hmm. or what is it, six to nine essays is a lot of fucking yes. reading. Like, and that I mean, both semesters, that's really what's tanked my semester is getting backlogged in grading and just being like, if only I can get to the point where like I don't have to grade any more things, this class will be less awful. <laughs> and I feel like that I mean that really takes away from I think some of the more. Um, what I feel like are productive things um, that I would rather do in a classroom. So next semester, I'm trying to structure my class around the, the around those pedagogical goals that I have, and hope that you know I'll just figure out ways to fit everything else in. Um, but because I'm, what I'm realizing is just teaching is just not as fun if I'm not privileging the uh, pedagogical goals and interests that I have. And I guess hopefully down the line I'll. Or, well, as time goes on, I'll figure out, and this is also, you know, having good mentorship, figuring out how to make these things marketable, mm-hmm. um, what awards to apply for, what, um, like, teaching fellowships to yeah. do, so on and so forth. But, yeah, trying to navigate what the school wants and what I want is really hard. Yeah. And, it's like, for me, for example, it's like, for example, like, they have a question, like, um, to what extent do you talk about word choice mattering, which seems like sort of a silly thing, but then, like, I feel like one exercise that people do that's really amazing is, like, you take a sentence and any piece of literature, then, like, get them to take out one word and then go through the thesaurus and see how many different variations there are, and, like, I think that becomes a way of thinking, like, you could get students to, like, like, one, I, one lesson that I planned was, like, um, you know, taking out like we we the people of the United States of America like what if you took out people and like started like particularizing in a different ways how does that change the power of that particular statement but then of course it talks speaks to like how we're looking at American literature American history in general how people self-define and so I try to make all these different signposts that they make us check try to make them work for me as much as possible how can I make them do double duty at once but also when I teach it I make it really explicit like today we're going to be talking about this thing so that when they do the evaluation they remember it because the problem is like I think that we don't don't do ourselves a service when we we're too subtle about it because the problem is like they yeah, need they, to know that they talked about it. Yeah, and so, that, and so I know, and so that, that then they could say like, yes, we did talk about this, you know, and have to check that box because that's going to be going into the rating that is going to be um, evaluated by the department later on. Yeah. No, I mean, I also am trying to just remember that, you know, this is all new and I'm learning. And that really, like, focusing on the fact that this is a learning process and I am learning how to do this thing that I did not know how to do Mm -hmm. 12 months ago um, relieves some of those anxieties uh, about, like, the fact that I haven't had all the boxes checked and so on. And we don't. We just, like, you know, we learn so much from year to year. Like, I've yeah. learned so much. Like, you can't just give pe- students a quick piece of theory, no matter how short it is, because they're just, you're going to have to just repeat it to them <laughs> in class anyway. And then I realized, wait, if I break it up and assign everyone one paragraph, everyone's going to stand the paragraph. But if we bring it all together, then, like, it helps them. Like, that's actually how I've taught Althusser and Judith Butler. And, mm. like, it actually works really well. I definitely recommend that as a, as a strategy. Because, like, students can paraphrase, like, are capable of doing a like, job of comprehending how each paragraph works. And then if you, like, bring them all together and they each explain the paragraph, then you can see what the structure of the essay is, but also they feel like they have some sort of authority, at least about a part of the text. Sorry, I'm actually, like, criticized. <laughs> yeah. um, but maybe a concluding note, um, 
weather formally or informally. That would be very useful. Yeah. Thanks for listening to PhD Divas. This is Zion conducting a group interview with a bunch of awesome uh, graduate uh, instructors at Cornell who are all women of color. And stay tuned. Follow us, like us on Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Bye, y'all.